So let's pray and then we'll jump into the message. Father, thank you that we could be here today. Thank you for your amazing grace that when we were without hope, Christ died for us. Thank you that you're our light. You are our salvation, our shelter, our strong tower, our comforter, our refuge. You are everything. So bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the final installment of our series, our 2020, uh, Jesus 2020 series. And how many people would agree with me that 2020 has been the most challenging year, the most memorable year, the most difficult year? Huh? Come on. So I know we're talking about a global pandemic. We're talking about race relations. We're talking about riots. We're talking about defunding the police in California. We had the wildfires. We have Black Lives Matter, Antifa, a contentious presidential race, and the list goes on. But as Christ followers, one of the reasons we did this series on Jesus 2020 is we want to view life through this through the lens of Jesus. And so the Bible says in Hebrews to put your eyes in the affections of your heart upon the author and finisher of your faith. And so Donald Trump is not the Savior, friends. Uh, Joe Biden is not the Savior. Uh, the government is not the Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior and the hope of the world. And so we look to him as a supreme, the supreme one that can help us with our lives here, the supreme judge who sits on the throne. He's the only one that can really change the landscape of a human heart, a change that goes on forever. And so we're going to talk this morning about the presidential election. We're going to have a conversation about that. So breathe in. Come on, breathe out and relax. But November 3rd, I think in church sometimes can be a little bit of an elephant in the room. And let me explain what I mean by that, because you've heard that phrase, elephant in the room. Perhaps you're out with somebody, maybe they're dating or they're married, and all of a sudden they're not together. And there's this underlying tension, and you're having conversation, and you're talking here. But there's this thing going on, and no one is really saying anything about what is most obvious, this hot potato subject here. No one addresses it. It feels awkward. Maybe feels kind of weird and people are kind of ignoring it. No one really says anything. And I feel a little bit like that on Sunday mornings in church in terms of the presidential election here, where the reality is this, is that there are massive topics. There are polarizing issues that are impacting society, things that are deeply dividing the families and the nation. And we're silent about them. It's kind of like there's an elephant in the church room. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the issues because they're being talked about all over our society. Our families are talking about them. Our students in school are talking about them. Our neighbors are talking about them. So Jesus didn't shy away, though, from controversial white elephant, hot button, controversial issues, nor are we. The way of Jesus was this, was to question people on the hot topic, hot of button issues of the day. He talked to his disciples and tax collectors and fishermen and hardworking, normal people and Pharisees and religious leaders about these issues. But one thing he never did, he never backed down from controversial issues and having conversations about them. Whether it was Jesus would talk about sex, he would talk about money, he would talk about politics or anxiety or anger or marriage or divorce or idols or anxiety or addictions or idolatry. The list would go on and on. And Jesus would talk about those things. So why would we not have those kind of conversations? Friends, if there was an elephant in the room, Jesus talked about it. And we need to also talk about the 
elephants in the church room. So throughout his ministry, Jesus was continually inviting and engaging people in conversations to talk about these things. There was no religious bubble that people would hide behind. He was straight up with them. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And I want to invite you, I want to invite everyone here, I want to invite everyone here to take on the same posture as Jesus had in having conversations uh, with controversial issues where there's an elephant in the room, and that's what we're going to do this morning. My hope is that today's message would even maybe equip you a little or empower you, inspire you, encourage you to continue the conversation we're going to begin this morning out there in your in your relational worlds. Now, I want to make a confession. Because when I, when I think about and reflect on the communication that I've had here over the past few years, and I've not talked about enough about, I think, things that are controversial, and I just want to be honest that the primary reason that I haven't done that is I'm mindful that things, some things are offensive, some things are divisive, I can run people off, and at the end of the day, I'm just like you, really. Like public speakers, they're really just like you. Preachers, pastors, they're just like you in that they want to be liked. I want to be liked just like you want to be liked. And I recognize that there are certain things I talk about, and there's going to be people that are really mad. There might be some that are glad, but some are going to be mad and, and all. And so when that happens, uh, speakers, pastors, teachers, they can sort of back off a little bit. But I want you to know that God has really been working on my heart this year about that and not to be in any way fearful, but really just to be fearless and to be ferocious about it and to be a shepherd that cares more about caring for you and telling the truth than you getting upset. And so that's where I've been landing in the political elephant in the church room is what I want to talk about this morning. So I want to set it up this way. Our family took a, a Bahamas vacation uh, years ago my three sons, my wife, and myself. And we took one excursion to a place called Exuma. It was awesome. It was just awesome. But at Exuma, they had there an opportunity where you could really swim uh, with shark-infested waters. I'm not, I'm not joking. Shark-infested waters. I probably saw probably 25, 30 big, like, 8, 9, 10-foot sharks when I was there. Well, they warmed us up by throwing out a rope into the water and had a big fish head, a big fish uh, guts and things, and they would literally pull the sharks out of the water onto the beach where they'd be flopping on the beach and thrashing, and then they go back in the water. So my family is watching all this, and they said, hey, if anybody, uh, the guide says, if anybody wants to go uh, into the shark-infested waters, we're going to take a swim. And so, and it was about maybe 200 yards, probably at the end, of, to the end of the property, and they said, if you have any cuts on you, don't go, because if you do and a shark goes after you, you are on your own. And so one of my sons, I think, had some cuts, as I remember. But anyway, the oldest son is like, I'll take a pass. The middle son, I'll take a pass. My wife, I'll take a pass. I'm down to like my youngest son, who probably didn't know any better. And so he decided to go with dad into the shark-infested waters. I had a shark encounter where a shark came swimming right at me really fast. I thrashed. Shark went the other way. Well, all that to say this. Today, I can't, with a clear conscience, in light of the presidential election, I can't stay on the safe shore of being silent. I've decided that i got to enter into the shark-infested waters of the presidential election. I'm going to talk about that, friends, but I want to make a few, a couple of introductory comments. And the first is this. Is that, hey, you're free to disagree with me. 
you're free to disagree with me and you're free to strongly disagree with me. And honestly, it won't hurt my feelings. I respect that not everybody is going to land at the same places. I also recognize that I'm talking about some things, even when you just touch the election, it's controversial and it's polarizing. And I get that. And so I know that people are going to disagree with me. And that's okay. When we're all done, we can still love each other and be friends. But at the same time, even though people are going to disagree, I have to say that I can't just kind of hold back on what I feel is the most important day, one of the days in our lifetime and sort of just kind of skirt around the subject or appease you and avoid the subject. I'm not going to do that. And so I also want to say as a, as a way by introduction that I really feel that the election is, is, we all know it's big, but I think it's even bigger than we can see. And by that I mean this, that I think there is a battle for the soul and the heart of America. It's not just an election. This is going to affect the trajectory of the nation for decades, even generations to come. So it is absolutely huge. And the Bible says this. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we battle not against flesh and blood. We think it's always about one another that we're bad. No, we don't battle just against flesh and blood. But it says, says against principalities, against powers, against the unseen forces of darkness. In other words, we battle against evil rulers of the unseen world. There's another world that we can't see, a dark world that really is genuinely evil, that uh, there is a real war, and actually there are people... And and perhaps America under attack. There are wicked forces out there that are significant. So I think we need to have an attitude that I will do whatever I have to do because there's an enemy that is defeatable, but he's, de but he's very formidable. And so we win with prayer. We win with God's word here. But don't take it lightly, but there is an unseen spiritual hierarchical powers out there that are against us. And I believe, I really believe that, that the battle is bigger than some of us realize because there is evil intent to capture the hearts and the minds of the people of the nation here and ultimately the soul of America. We battle not against flesh and blood. There are principalities, demonic principalities, behind the scenes of godless philosophies that are seeking to shape the thinking of every generation. And so with that understanding, we need to realize that, there's a, that there is an unseen war that's going on. And we battle against evil forces that are ferociously wanting to take the nation down. It's the truth. We don't always see that or realize that. And so for the church, all that to say this, if we don't fight the good fight of faith, friends, who's going to? Like, who's going to fight? As I, as I was processing this, thank you for that responsive too. I just really appreciate how responsive that you are. So, but as I thought about this, I thought, um, inside of us? Are we just going to roll roll over and let evil take over our nation? Somebody once said, his name was Edmund Burke, he said, the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good people do nothing. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is good people do nothing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the brilliant intellectual pastor in Germany, who was murdered in a POW camp days before they were liberated, uh, was part of the Nazi resistance movement. 
and he actually wanted to assassinate Hitler. So the Germans found out and they hung him in a POW camp when he was 40 or 39 years old in 1945. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, and I quote, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. And God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. End of quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So friends, I truly believe that America is at a crossroads. That we are standing at a crossroads. And I feel like God is asking me to open my mouth and lovingly sound the alarm that we would understand that we are at a crossroads. That we would wake up that we would fight, that we would recognize the gravity and the immensity, the enormity of the occasion, that we would intercede in prayer and knowing that God will respond in mercy. So let me say that in approaching this subject and, and what I'm about to say, that throughout biblical and secular history, the people wake up and they realize they draw a line in the sand and they say, enough is enough. So in the scriptures, we see this when Moses petitioned the Pharaoh. He said, let my people go. They had him in bondage and, uh, and he confronted him for the liberty of God's people. Elijah in the Old Testament, their challenge, King Ahab, who was like one of the wickedest dudes imaginable, married to Jezebel, just wickedness on steroids. And their advisor, he confronted them for their ungodly practices. John the Baptist in the New Testament confronted King Herod for his immoral lifestyle. So you see that in the Bible. You see it throughout history. We don't have time to unpack that. But here we are in 2020. So I want to talk about three things you need to bear, be aware of, three questions you need to be asking yourself in light of the November 3rd election. Here's the first question. What are the things in your life that influence you? What are the things that shape your political views? What are they? I mean, we get, we get pounded by the fake news relentlessly to shape our thinking. Just relentlessly trying to shape our thinking. There's uh, the media there that's trying to shape our thinking. But then also, as a Christ follower, you have options of what's going to shape your thinking, which would be Jesus and what he has said, Scripture, to shape your political views. And I think that we need to take that seriously because the reality is that God has spoken his thoughts, his views for himself in the Bible. And we recognize, I recognize this, that even in light of that, that God has spoken, people are Christ followers, how you filter that, you're going to vote for different candidates, procedures, and policies. I get that. But let me say this, that if you're a Christ follower, as you grow, as you grow in your understanding of Scripture, you understand what God wants for you, what he wants from you, and you begin to uh, have your values shaped by what Scripture says. So biblical values then become your values, which then come to expression on the policies, on the procedures, and on the next president of the United States. So when you go to the voting booth, that comes to expression. When you cast your ballot, maybe by mail, because you want to closely align your values, your votes, your posture with what God has said there. That's true, friends. So if you're a Christ follower, um, are you going to vote for the party, the person, the platform that represents God's values in Scripture? Or are you going to have other people tell you how to vote? 
The Bible says this in Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, friends, I, I agree that um, anytime, or I, I get it, that anytime we talk about values, that's going to cause a little tension and all that. But I just want to unpack for you on a personal level, just the last week, my filtering this scripture through my own life and, and what I, what I, uh, uh, how it came to expression and how I'm going to vote in the election. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, this is written in the context where God's chosen people, they are surrounded, they're surrounded by um, all these pagan uh, gods and false gods. And so David says there in Psalms, right, penning this, he says, but the nation that will be blessed, the nation that will be blessed is the nation not of the pagan gods, but the God who is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Notice it doesn't say, blessed is the nation whose God is Allah. Doesn't say that, friends. So I'm very troubled when I am filtering my, you know, thinking about policies, procedures, presidential options. I'm very troubled when I filter statements like this through that scripture. And I quote, I wish we taught more in our schools the Islamic faith. So I'm thinking, okay, so we teach the Islamic faith in schools. What's that going to do to the following generations? Is our nation still going to be blessed? Because the God of Islam is Allah, and the Bible doesn't say that the nation that that worships Allah will be blessed, but the the nation that worships the Lord. And so, and then I'm troubled, I'm very troubled when I hear a candidate uh, declare that he'll be adding Muslims to his nation, nothing against the Muslim religion, but this is America, and it says this, and I quote, I will ban the Muslim, I will end the Muslim ban on day one. I will be a president that seeks out, listens to, and incorporates the ideas and concerns of Muslim Americans on everyday issues that matter most to our Muslim communities. That will include having Muslim American voices as part of my administration. So inviting, which to me, I filter that as inviting world religions to shape our future. Is that what you want? You know, when you filter, you filter your thoughts through, blessed is the nation whose God is not Allah, but is the Lord, but that's the posture of one of the candidates. And so my question to you is, are you going to vote policies, procedures, and for a president who best represents biblical values uh, in your life, in your convictions. It's about, friends, it's about policy. It's about procedures. We want to make it about personality. Hey, I get it. Like both the candidates in certain ways can be super lame in their personality and, and, and how those personalities come to expression. But it's not about their personalities. It's about their policies. It's about their stance. It's about their procedures. So we need to get back to what do they stand for and not react. I feel that as a nation, we are so overreactive to personalities. It's not, that's not what it is. So look at our culture, look around at our culture, look at the issues of the day and ask yourself, Whose policies, whose procedures being put forth by both political parties in America will accomplish God's purpose, God's will in our nation? And so uh, what potential president is going to most represent your convictions there that have been shaped, hopefully, 
by Scripture. Number two, my question is this. What can you do about the election uh, uh, but pray? Are we praying and asking God who we, would, who we should vote for and then just go for it? And ask God what he thinks about the issues of our day. If you're a Christ follower, are you praying and asking God, like, about the policies, the procedures, the presidents you're going to vote for? Because when we pray, friends, we have direct access to Almighty God, who can, by his power, sway what happens in earth, that thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So also, if we would we would commit regardless of what happens on November 3rd, that we would commit to praying for the next president of the United States, that we would pray for our leaders. The Bible puts it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession be made for all people, for presidents or kings and for all those in authority. In other words, pray for the decision makers of our nation. I think we also need to pray for things like the media bias would be replaced with fairness. I think we need to pray that truth would be reestablished as a standard of the news media, to pray for the movement of God's spirit uh, that would create a, a, a real transformation in churches and in America. Pray for a, that we would wake up uh, and have a spirit of, uh, uh, of fighting for what is right and standing for truth and a spirit of repentance and that we would turn back to God and seek God as a nation. And so the second thing that we can do is we can pray. The last thing that I want to mention about the election is this. I get it that it is not just polarizing, but hyper-polarizing political landscape that we are facing. But if we disagree, if we disagree with someone, we don't have to break relationship with them. Just because we disagree. Now think about that if you're married. If you disagreed with your spouse, what would it look like if you broke relationship with them every time you disagreed? I mean, think about if you're a Christ follower, your relationship with God, that every time that God disagreed with you, if he broke relationship with you. How ridiculous would that be? Yet... What we can do is we can get so worked up about our posture that we strongly believe in that somebody that doesn't disagree with us, even in a faith community, in a church, we can break relationship with them. I heard about a pastor that my wife was telling me quit his church because the the people were going to vote the way that he thought they should vote. So he left the church. I mean, how ridiculous is that? So we can disagree, friends, and still love one another. We can disagree strongly, have strong differing opinions, but God is big enough and his love is wide enough and his grace is deep enough that we can still love one another. We may not see eye to eye on all the issues and policies and procedures of the next president of the United States, but that doesn't mean that we still can't be a part of a of a Christ-fearing community and walk forward as the, as the family of God love one another, and do something great in the community. So let's not break ranks just because we don't agree with one another. Amen? All right. So let's pray. So as the worship team comes up, wherever the worship team is, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you would stir our hearts, that you are the God that stirs our hearts, that you're the God that can give us the courage that we wouldn't be silent 
I pray that you would stir us to do what is right. You would stir us to do what is honorable. You do cause us to be firm, to be immovable and unshakable, and to be strong in our convictions, to be strong in what we believe. Father, I pray that we would do what is necessary so that you would be exalted in the land. May we stand up for what is right. May we declare truth. May we live lives in such a way that God is glorified. And may we recognize that human vessels are frail, that there's no perfect presidential candidate. I will look forward to the day when Jesus will come and rule and reign. But until that day, may we be used by you. May we join our hearts together to do what is best as a community and for Christ, because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In Jesus' name.